Hang on, I need to Hello again. Hello, Meg. Hello, We're hello. Here on one of our interview podcasts. So we have a special guest with us today. We do, and I'm very, very happy to have this conversation. Yes. So we have Marie Harrison. Hi, Marie. Hello. Hi. So I might do a little intro. So, you know, you can save all your energy for the content. Um, so Marie is a non-diet dietitian and she has two special interest areas, which is quite interesting. And I think we're going to have some really good conversations about this. Um, so she works supporting people who have a challenging time with their eating and relationship with food after bariatric surgery. So you're going to be our first guest who has um, worked in that space. And Marie also works with people who live with diabetes. Um, so she's currently working part-time in a bariatric surgery clinic and building a private practice. And we're really glad you're here. So we thanks are. for having We are. So it's lovely to be here. Tell thanks us about you and how you have come to be where you are now. Oh, well, we should start with. Oh, no, I always do this. <laughs> Straight into. So can you tell track, us who you track. are? Um, what was the best thing you ate this week? Oh, I, I love this part of your podcast. <laughs> <so>. <laughs> uh, and I'm going to throw a caution to the wind and say that the favourite thing I had to, or favourite thing I had to eat was a yolo torto. What is a yolo torto? Tell us. So it's a festive food in the Finnish culture. (gasps) And, yes, yeah, it's a a pastry. It's a pinwheel-shaped pastry and it has a plum jam in the middle. Oh, Oh, I love plum jam. That's the first jam I ever made. And I have a very fond memory of my grandfather absolutely loving it. Oh, that's very nice. See, I'm an apricot jam person usually. Apricot's my favourite, but then plum comes in. If it's got chunks in it, yeah. So, yeah, so where did you, did you make this or where did you buy I, it? I have to admit I didn't make it. Uh, there was a lady in our Finnish community here, here that uh, has oh. made them, so I was able to devour the goodness. Oh, that's so oh, cool. Yeah. So like, you guys have to tell me how, not now, but you're going to have to tell me how to spell that so we can find a link to put in the show notes, like some, at least a picture or a recipe yes. um, for people who are interested in that. So what was the festival in what's the what's the it's a, it's a Christmas type of food. Ah yes. excellent. Yeah. Fantastic. Oh, I want to try that. Do you have, is this a I know. <laughs> <laughs> so is it like a buttery flaky sort it of it is a buttery flaky pastry. Oh. Uh, and it does have a melt in your mouth quality, which oh, I think oh, is delicious. Like almost like a croissanty sort of yeah it's it's not quite as layered you know yeah. how croissants the, yes. yes all yeah, the layers yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, but it's yeah. yeah it's it's hard to describe uh, you can you can use puff pastry as a bit of a yeah. shortcut but it doesn't give you the same product no there's yeah. this, this handmade thing so yeah was this got like a nostalgia factor from like childhood thing as well it does it does a little bit I'm not a huge pastry person but it is something that my grandmothers both my grandmothers used to make oh um, that's amazing and uh yeah so the the Finnish Christmas traditions do 
do lie really strong. <laughs> so can you say can you pronounce can you say it again for me? Yeah, Yolo Totu. Nice. I'm not even gonna. <laughs> <laughs> like that. It's got that awful R to have to try and roll. Roll your arms. <laughs> Fantastic. All right. Well, back to um the question that Susan was oh, running away with. Um, oh, so we're often really interested when we talk with non-diet dietitians, um, how they got there. Um, so whether they sort of just yeah. popped out and always had this awareness of weight stigma and weight bias, and were like, I'm not going to do diety, or whether unfortunately it's come through a bit of a trudge through diet land. Um, so how did you? How did it come to be that you were a working in a non-diet way and then doing that in sort of post-bariatric surgery land it's a long story I'll try and give you the abbreviated version because I I would have to say that from a fair from fairly early on I've certainly um I haven't really bought into the weight argument all that much but then again there has been a little bit of meandering along the way. Um, I'll I'll come to that <laughs> uh, down the track, um, and you'll understand what I mean by meandering. Uh, but I I did get into dietetics because I was diagnosed with type one diabetes in my early teens. All oh, right, yep. that that piqued my interest in in nutrition and dietetics. Mm. I had been thinking about whether or I do something in. I guess music or in creative arts or oh. visual arts or uh, something more sciencey. And mum said, "Go the sciencey way. There's more guarantee with income." Sensible <laughs> <laughs> <Way>. mum advice. <laughs> and and of course, then um, with the diabetes coming into play, it just seemed like a natural fit. Um, and I was exposed to a lot of, I guess, health and medicine um throughout those 10 years um which I guess provided some incredible insights uh and life experiences along the way some shock though I think as a teenager to suddenly have like your whole infallibility Mm. derailed yes wow yeah yeah so that that um did did come as a challenge at times and I remember if I may share this story with you I remember being 16 and I went in to see the endocrinologist or the the specialist the diabetes specialist and he said to me these blood sugars aren't going to come down unless you cut your calories by half whoa the thinner the better at 16 yes Oh no! And he hadn't made any assessment of what I ate. Wow! Not. <laughs> but, you know, th- th- there's a few lessons in that. Yeah. Well, <laughs> there's some indication as to why the rates of eating disorders among people yeah. with diabetes yeah. are scary. So off I went, <laughs> and I cut my calories in half. Oh. And by half again. Oh god! I won't tell you how low I got in calories. No. no. But um, yeah, I I did blood sugars go strict, and my blood sugars improved. Oh, but they they really improved, and in hindsight, this you know you you understand this better as an adult, yeah. With with advances in medicine, Mm. um, my blood sugars improved because I didn't have a menstrual cycle. 
Oh, wow. So I wasn't getting the natural ebbs and flows that uh, women often get with with their estrogen. Oh, yeah. But yeah, yeah, like that would have been like proof positive that it was the all the air quotes in the world, the right thing to do. Absolutely, absolutely. So ev all all of that messaging was then just consolidated for me. Yeah. And, and through that singular focus of the only thing that, about your health that matters is these blood sugar numbers yeah which Correct. i think we're kind of getting to in the sort of um continuous glucose monitoring that's just happening amongst people without mm -hmm. diabetes now yeah. this idea that you should and need to keep your blood sugars between this really really narrow range um otherwise something's wrong yeah um Absolutely. and not considering oh this is a whole person mm. um and that's not the only measure or marker of health or yeah. even diabetes control right like <laughs> absolutely not absolutely not and that's the fascinating thing when you start to realize and certainly for type 1 diabetes when you start to realize that there are about 50 give or take a yeah. few, 50 other factors that in, influence your blood sugars you start to realize that actually this may have something to do with food but very often it's not yeah yeah yeah, yeah. and and that's certainly something that I like to try and keep with me when I speak with people mm. who who come to me for nutrition advice about diabetes or or guidance about diabetes is where are we at with everything else that's going on that yeah. might be influencing your blood sugars? Yeah, totally. Are we, are we scapegoating with food? Are yeah. we gaslighting with food? How's your sleep? How's, How's your day? stress? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. That's I'm right. ripped on UTI right now. <laughs> Oh my goodness. I yeah. used to have in when I had a like a physical practice location, I used to have this big poster and like it was it was probably like a meter by a meter and a half. Like it was massive and it was all of the biochemistry, all the pathways. Oh, and now they all interacted with each other. And it was shockers. And the font was tiny. Yeah. Like it's so intricate. And I would usually go, how do you think you're gonna micromanage that yeah like <laughs> look at like if you do that over here this is going to happen over here it's all like, connected I'd we drawn one stop it when I did biochemistry at uni um like one of my friends and I we'd drawn it like we'd drawn oh, wow. that massive thing and I had it hung up next to the um kettle yeah in my kitchenette um and yeah, so often you'll see on lots of social media people like just looking at the Krebs cycle <laughs> or just looking at the way we're metabolizing glucose fats or whatever. Yeah, and yeah, like, yeah. Yeah, but it's not just Put that. It in. Put it where it goes. Like hook it all in um, and then all the unknowns still. Yeah, that's right. Absolutely. So that thing was massive. Yeah. Shocking. And we don't know everything. Exactly. So yeah. how did you, I guess, dig out of having had that sort of confirmation that the way to get your blood sugars under control was through extreme calorie restriction how did you sort of dig out of that well needless to say that my eating became quite chaotic because it was dif difficult to maintain that level of restriction oh. so then there were periods of restriction and then periods of of what would you call it uh, overeating overeating at times reactive. or uh, reactive eating emotional eating um I feel really frustrated because my blood sugars aren't doing their thing so I'll just go <laughs> stuff it <laughs> <laughs> so I'll just go and get a chocolate bar yeah. I found that 
Curiously, chocolate bars did very little to my blood sugars compared to something like watermelon, you know, (laughs) introduced the glycemic index and glycemic load, which wasn't a thing back then yet. Of course not. So so that was also another interesting part to navigate. Mm -hmm. Uh, But what I think really pulled me out of it was that I was in a social situation, I would have been in my early 20s, and I've got a, a childhood friend who's got diabetes as well, type 1 diabetes, and she she was sitting there at the same table and she was just enjoying herself. Right. She was, she was t- tucking into it. Yeah. Waffles with some ice cream. And I'm thinking, how is she? Right. <laughs> Having that. And I, and, I, and I thought to myself, I've got to change this up. Mm. I, I can't continue doing this. I have to give myself permission to eat so I don't don't feel guilty about what I eat. Find a way to be um, in these social situations and flexible yes. and relaxed. And that was what changed it for me. Mm, uh, wow. I, I found that there was power in, in giving myself permission. Right. Yeah, yeah. Well, because it often depowers the forbidden foods, right? Correct. <laughs> They're actually no longer as appealing when you can have them whenever. And and it's interesting because it gives you choice. And and when you do have the choice, then you can go, well, what would I like to do here? Mm. Would I I like to have the choice? And you did that without support. Like you did that with your own insight. Yes. Without guidance. Like that's such a hard thing. And I'm sure you've seen that with clients when you sort of, bring that sort of into the room, you know, <laughs> what about if <laughs> you gave yourself permission and they're like, that's the last thing I need. Look how I eat now. I need more control. Yes. So that's more power to you that you were able to get there sort of, you know. Yeah. Yeah. So then I I, I then nag- navigated that space and experimented with flexibility and I guess the concepts of intuitive eating and mindful eating without sort of having read anything much (laughs) because I don't know that there was that that much out there we're talking sort of really early 2000s there might be some literature out there but not a lot and not as easy to find because it was pretty yeah over Instagram and yeah yeah Yeah. yeah, yeah. Off you go. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. Last time you read those books, you must have been like, oh, what's a thing? What? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, it's interesting you say that because when I picked up Dr. Michelle May's Am I Hungry Mindful for Eating with Diabetes, it was like, ah. Oh, yeah. Now I've got a framework. This Validation. Time was right. She was one of the first people who introduced me to the sort of concepts around mindful eating and non diet yeah. stuff yeah. in those sort of, yeah, early to mid 2000s, like those early 2000s. Yeah. yeah, she's been doing the work for quite a long time. Yes. Um, yeah. We had TED Talk, which was still a little bit like weight-centric-ish, um, but pretty great. Her sort of her, her TED Talk was one of those first things I was like, oh, wow, look at this. <laughs> Yes. I'm talking about this stuff in a really, you know, on a really decent platform and it 
makes sense and she's got the runs on the board around like the science and literature and the the practice that she's done um which is cool and you I know we were going to get to this a little bit later because it's sort of more next year but while we're here um you've continued that sort of um connection with her work yes uh so I just gained so much from her resources that I really wanted to introduce those concepts to the clients that I work with in the bariatric surgery space. And so I've recently trained up to become a facilitator um, in the MI Hungry Mindful Eating for Bariatric Surgery program. Mm -hmm. And I'm hoping to run uh, the workshops in 2024. Yeah. Oh, fantastic. fantastic. We'll definitely link to all those. Yeah. Um, I don't know when this is coming out. <laughs> it's probably not coming out in 2024. It's just sort of before Christmas 2023 right. at the yeah. moment. So <laughs> I reckon you'll be, hopefully all those will be up and running when this comes out and people can just click on the show notes and um, find information about yeah. that. But I think it's so interesting, not interesting, it shouldn't surprise us that actually often mindful eating stuff and Dr. Michelle Main in particular has, those, initially it was just sort of for your chronic dieters and for everyone. And then it was like, oh, for people with diabetes. Am I hungry for people with diabetes? And it's like, oh, hang on a minute. We actually need this also for these people who have had some form of bariatric surgery and either it has been the cause of huge eating concerns or they had massive eating concerns that have not been addressed. Yeah. You know, they were told, oh, this will fix your binge eating if you just get this surgery. Yeah, like um, and realise, oh, no, I actually need some really specific support. Mm-hmm. Um I imagine knowing dietitians who work in non-diet space, um, generally you're pretty, um, have a generous assumption when they're meeting new people. Um, but what sort of reactions do you get when you sort of are talking to other non-diet dietitians or maybe more traditional dietitians and you say, oh, you work in um, in bariatric surgery practice? Because when I see those ads advertised, I'm like, oh, there's no way I would do that. Um, or, <laughs> oh yeah, these people are not what they need, but I know you quite well, um, and I know that actually it's amazing that you're there, and it's so important that you're there. Um, but yeah, talk us through sort of navigating that space of that is really tricky for someone who works in a weight inclusive, yeah. non diet way. It can be a tricky space. I'll be completely honest, uh, and and if I can say, I feel like I'm hated on both. It really does depend. It does depend on, I guess, the values and the philosophy of each clinician. Uh, and and if you can get to get to sharing a little bit more about what's involved in my work, then you know the, yeah. the barriers start to come down. Uh, but yeah, yeah, at face value. Um, saying saying or introducing myself that I'm a non-dietitian working in the bariatric <laughs> surgery space. Does it, does it, does so, feel, yeah, at odds. It's important to have people there because people who end up having bariatric surgery, there's we just know there's massive rates of internalised weight stigma, there's massive rates of, of um, eating disorders, like some of my most unwell clients ever Um with their eating disorders have been post-bariatric surgery mm. and um, their whole lives often they've sort of been told, oh, well, if you lose weight, your all your problems will go away, your health problems will go away, your mental health problems will go away, your confidence will be great, everything will be amazing. And we know it's just not. Um, but, again, the blame goes back on the 
clients when it's not yeah. like that. And especially we know too around around weight regain. Yeah. The weight and the fear of weight regain. And then when it often happens, because if we just look at the even just the Australian data from Monash Uni, like it's the Nike tick, like it's this is not the end. Um and so much blame is put on the individual. So we need people like you there. But how yeah, how how do the clients go navigating that space? Because I imagine that you're not what they expect potentially yeah yeah and again it, it, it's fairly interesting I I tend to uh tend to get a sense of what each individual is about before I really I don't like to push an agenda if if you can say that you know you, you want to be as client-centric as possible or client-centered is probably the nicer yeah. way of putting it uh, and and get a sense of what they're really wanting, uh, and it's not always easy because I think sometimes we hear the surface level. This is what I want. Yep. Um, and, and you know, if we, when we start talking values driven works, you start to realise that these things that we want up here. Um, yeah. And someone's been told their whole life the only way to access those things is through a particular body. Shape. Yeah, yeah, and, and there's so much impacting that. Absolutely, and there's so much internalized stigma. Mm. I think sometimes some clients aren't even aware of it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so, well, so it makes it yeah, a fish not knowing that it's swimming yeah, that's right. in water because it's yeah, yeah. You know, yeah. Out the whole so, night. so I, I kind of. I just like to try and provide opportunities where if they are open to having conversations about doing it differently, then yep. I can. Yeah. Um, so creating yeah. that safe space. Uh, so if I am seeing them before surgery, and oftentimes I'll only see them once before surgery, so they're already thinking this is what I'm going to do, um, it's not a case that I'm going to go in there and look, I'm here to change your mind. Yeah. <laughs> it's more around providing them with information that hopefully will arm them um, in, in terms of maintaining their safety, uh, certainly immediately after the surgery. But I try and use that opportunity to say, hey, have you thought about what might happen if it doesn't quite go to plan or if it doesn't quite go in terms of what you've imagined or you've talked about your emotional eating history here or yeah binge eating what if that comes back yeah what yeah. are you going to do then so then yeah. hopefully they feel that there's an invitation and that they can come back and have a conversation with me and we can start unpacking some yeah. of the stuff that yeah. might be coming up yeah like that sort of conversation opens up the idea that some of that eating perhaps is not pathological it's actually functional yeah. it serves yeah. a purpose absolutely so if you can't do that yeah going to do instead to regulate yourself like and have you got enough time to learn new skills and strategies for this intense emotion you know Mm. so by the sound of it you're really doing that really like decriminalizing what maybe has felt like dreadful dreadful things that they've done for their whole lives trying to I'm trying (laughs) One person. <laughs> You're right. Uh, but, yeah, yeah, coming from a place of let's get curious. Mm. Yeah. 
yeah I really like to to use curiosity as as one of these things where we we just uh yeah look at look at what's going on with the eating is this is this something that's actually been helping you why why are you trying to do it differently if it's in fact as you say Susan it's 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 been a functional aspect of your life yeah Uh, yeah so we've sort of touched on why non-diet weight inclusive people might be like you do what Uh, and possibly (laughs) you know does that why do you think you also get uh, I have a bit of an affront to your more traditional weight centric dietitians um, working in a different way in bariatric surgery yeah I think that's probably because I'm really loath to give strict rules yeah I really try and reduce um, the black and white mm. labelling of eating behaviour and foods and and all those sorts of things that tend to trip us up, I think, yeah, um, sure. when we're talking about those, you know, dieting cycles and... Mm. And they often create that hierarchy, right, that oh, I'm the, I'm the I was expert, gonna say, you're, you're the person. Crown. You need to go and do what I tell you. <laughs> Otherwise, all these terrible things are going to happen. Um, and there's safety in that for the traditional clinician, even though just telling people what we know this, just telling people what they should do or giving them a list of what they need to go and do generally doesn't translate into behaviour or if they're unable to do it because of whatever reason, finance, capacity, time, neurodiversity, mm-hmm. whatever, Um they just end up carrying that blame rather than being supported to undo the barriers and help build the capacity to, like you mentioned, safety. Um, so there's the short-term safety stuff after surgery, but there's the more long-term safety around taking your right. Yeah. So who do you love working with? Who do I love working with? Who do you love working with? Favorite. <laughs> Don't have to name that. That's okay. Types. Who's not helping? Like, where do you yeah, feel like I, they are I, making a difference? I really like working with a client who comes in and goes, "I'm done with dieting." Mm. And you know, the, the the bariatric patient. Can I call them back? Can I someone, yeah. an individual who, who's had bariatric uh, surgery who says? Do you know what diets haven't worked for me, so I really need to change my approach this time around because otherwise it's just going to be another variation on a diet. Mm. Um, so help me reframe the way I'm doing this. Yeah. yeah. And what are their motivations? When people get to that point, um, so in my practice, it's very often um, related. Not always. Sometimes it's just I've had enough. Um, other times it's sort of particularly women, older women who are like, I finally got time to think about this because I'm outside of um, that hectic, like little children or even bigger children, um, intensive parenting. Um, But then there's also new new mums in particular um, or people like who are just sort of starting that feeding relationship with their own kids and just going, I don't know how to eat well. I don't know. And by well, I mean, yes, by well, I don't mean. Perfect health. You know, you know, everyone listening to this knows that's not what I mean. But you know, they have that flexibility, that broad way of eating, that calmness and and confidence with eating. Um, is that similar for you? Like, is that sort of the who ends up coming through your door, having got to that point of I can't do this? 
there is a bit of that too uh and I'm just trying to uh, trying to think I, I attended a webinar recently on the stats for uh the I guess the typical patient profile that we might see um mm -hmm. in Australia and by far the the most common bariatric patient if you want to call it that mm -hmm. um is a woman of of um childbearing age yeah oh, wow that young yes. well there's yeah. quite a, a number uh, of people. so so whether they're planning to have children or then have mm -hmm. had children and so mm -hmm. then there is that conversation well how do i do this uh yeah to to manage my needs but then also to manage my little people's needs yeah yeah for some people it's their it's the barrier to accessing fertility treatment too. Mm. Is that, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. They will not, like they can't get publicly funded fertility mm. treatment unless they're under a certain weight. And, you know, that this is the bariatric surgery is is the thing that's Held being that this will get promised to mm. get you the thing that you really want. Mm. So, yeah, and I, you know, I think it's um, that actually you know in some ways doesn't surprise me that the mm, age true. is that low for yes. the typical person that would have bariatric surgery but also too when you start to feed mm. and if you breastfeed or bottle feed however you do it it's almost like it sort of hits you in the face how intuitive infant feeding is in most cases obviously there's times where it's you know it's a problem but like once a child's done, they're done. You know, like that's, that's it. Head turn. Head away. Spit you can't like try, you know. <laughs> and it can be one of those things where you're like, how do they know <laughs> what their body needs? And they're just a baby. And I I don't have that. Or the anxiety. Because I think oh, when yes. you because if you've grown up your whole life without yeah, body trust, true, true, true. And with this belief that you have to tightly control it goes into your body by counting calories or whatever yeah. otherwise your body will be wrong they you're not going to know you're not going to trust your baby's body, body either yeah. Yeah. um and so really struggle with that trust of the what what we would often advocate for which is that sort of ellen satter the parents do what we're when the kid does how much if any um you really struggle with that um if you don't have trust yeah and, and that's an interesting point because I get that from quite a few mums. How do I nav navigate this space now that I've got my children watching me mm. uh, eating uh, with the bariatric surgery so that they don't uh, come up, grow up with the same eating issues that I've had? Mm. Yeah. You do, you know, I have a, quite a number of clients who, you know, sort of talking through, we often ask, tell me about eating and diets in the home and sometimes that then that's actually when the penny drops for them oh my mum doesn't eat with us or oh I always eat just this tiny little bit of butter plate or yeah. eat or whatever and they realize that mum or grandma perhaps sometimes it's not in the house sometimes um genetics is really strong even though the mum's done whatever they could do to sort of keep dieting out of the house and they're like oh actually that's you know I've got these real deep memories of this people I look up to or I'm learning from mm. having a really fraught relationship with food. Uh, so I think it's so wise of them to be like, I need to find a way to make this not negatively impact my kids. Absolutely. absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And knowing that it could because it absolutely can. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. And, and I guess that's, that's a, 
that's where I became a, a, probably a little bit more uh, aware of, I guess, weight neutral practice, uh, where I hadn't been so aware of it before in my professional career. Uh, because when I had when I had my baby, I was a geriatric mum, as they call them. <laughs> but you love that. I was also. Yes, it's so nice. <laughs> and and so I I had the fortune of staying at home with her for for a few years before I went back to work and and so I dug quite deep uh, into how how am I going to do this for my daughter uh, so that she doesn't get caught up hopefully or, uh, you know caught up in this this all this dieting dilemma and conversation that is just everywhere everywhere. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, and and recognize that hey there are quite a few more resources there <laughs> even in the nutrition and dietetic sphere uh in our toolbox that weren't there 10 15 years ago so uh, I, I think that certainly changed my trajectory a little bit uh into where i into the space where i am now mm. yeah for sure mm. so the question we often ask is we sort of come on just aware of time. I know you've got to run off. Um, yeah. So even though I have lots of other things I'd like to ask you, but I'm going to <laughs> respect your time. Um, so the question we sort of ask as we get towards the end of our time is what I guess is your hope um, for the future in the sort of the, where you're working, um, whether, I don't mean specifically the practice that you work in, but the mm-hmm. space of diabetes, surgery intuitive eating all that sort of space like what would you like to see different um over in the next however long oh uh i've got a lot of ideas uh we love it um look i would really like more opportunities and open conversation uh to practice informed consent for Mm. patients before they do bariatric surgery uh, I say that, but I also then recognise that it is, very, it is very difficult with the level of stigma mm. that people are experiencing. Yeah. And I sometimes wonder if the stigma wasn't there, if people were would feel very differently about oh. their options. And the, and the risk of complications. Yeah. Well, if you think, I remember watching... Um, I will dig it up. It's that, that um, endemic of beauty sickness. I can't remember the name of the researcher. Um, and she was um, asked her sort of university when she was lecturing, um, you know, what would you rather sort of be hit by a truck or um, gain weight or be fat or whatever, however she phrased it. Um, and instead of people going like, well, obviously I don't want to be hit by a truck, the sort of question came up, well, how big is the truck? How, how long will I be out of action for? Like, am I going to have am I injured? Yeah. Um, which is just such an indication of the fear that people will, in verticals, do anything um, to try to make the body smaller in a culture that makes it really, really difficult um, mm. to exist happily <laughs> in um, in a larger body. And so I totally hear you on the, like people could have them said, hey, there's X, what is it, 16% of like capitalism or what are these, like these yes. really high risks of really horrendous things and be like, uh, it's worth it it's worth it because this is intolerable. So I think yeah. that's often where the compassion, where people who are working in space um, aware of that, there's just so much compassion for people who make the decision to do this. Mm-hmm. There's no judgment. Um, and how difficult 
informed consent is. And I think that's why it uh, it frustrates me that, and I think it will come in time, that people aren't told about the rates of weight regain because I actually think, unfortunately, it's probably the only that, yes. risk yeah. that might actually land um, yeah. for yeah. people. But you're not even necessarily guaranteed this thing that you're. Yeah, indeed. And that that is hugely distressing for clients. Yeah. Distressing. And, and if anything, that's probably the one thing that I see um, people coming back with. Yeah. And, and oftentimes there, there are, not always, but oftentimes there are some elements of <clears throat> um, eating that that people are really challenged by mm. yeah. Sure. yeah absolutely and, and it's hard to, it's hard to sometimes unpack whether it um it's the the weight regain that's driving that in a way yeah there's definitely a um i know i've i've worked with quite a few people who are post surgery and the stalling of weight loss or the mm-hmm. weight regain does bring up that well like what's the point yeah. and um that real well I may as well like eat anything why and that's that I guess the prioritizing of weight loss above everything even though logic and the certainly you know the the intellect that we know like food is a source of nutrition as well as energy and mm. you know like so-called good nutrition is good for our health it's like feels like it just goes it can anyway go out the window when you know and then and then there's the self-blame for well now I'm eating like this of course I'm regaining weight Mm. and the cycle sort of absolutely and the huge self-blame and often people have you know they've either it's cost them a lot of money or family members have contributed to the cost Um, of the surgery and so there's that huge much like pressure, pressure um which is just so, yeah, just so sad. Because, again, when you look at the data, and I don't know, I haven't looked recently in the last 12 months, but Monash Uni were collecting um, pretty good data on Australian around complication rates, which a huge proportion of them was like other, which was I couldn't believe. Um, But I couldn't find, the last time I looked, um, there seemed to be a reduction in reporting weight um, after the first five years. So I don't know if that's actually to, to being hidden or whether... They're just not collecting it. And people are lost to follow up. And we know who gets lost to follow up yeah. in um yeah. In research. It's often the people who feel like they're failing or that they don't want to talk to a researcher um because it hasn't been Success. what they want. Successful. They, they haven't done the right thing and they I feel like a was, failure. Yeah, something you were saying. What what do we regard as success? Mm. Yeah, yeah. And that was that was an interesting question that came up uh in someone's uh, PhD research interview recently for me they said if you were to define a successful bariatric patient how would you define it and I thought to myself good lord (laughs) (laughs) with all respect to the person who's doing research I think they're doing some wonderful research in terms of how best to support clients and 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 my first thought was I think we need to be asking the client how they want to Mm. yes success but then I also had the other thought, and I'm going to try and bring this, this is this is sort of personalising it a little bit. Um, if we're thinking about bariatric surgery in terms of a medical intervention, so these people have had, uh, they've got a medical intervention and they've got health concerns ongoing as a result of medical or surgical intervention. 
And then I draw the parallel with uh, diabetes. If someone were to say to me that I'm a successful person with diabetes because my HbA1c is 7% or less than mm. 6%, I would be really disappointed. <laughs> that was the metric. That, yeah. that usually... What about my life? <laughs> Yeah, what, what about me as a person? Yeah. You know? <laughs> like a, and, and then I think, well, what about these these patients, you know? Yeah. You know, how are they contributing? So how do they want to measure the way they, you know, live in yeah. the world and contribute to society or be, be a part of society? I, I sometimes wonder whether the medical metrics in terms of success are really limiting us. Yeah. Um, and look, I don't have time to dig into it, but I think that point you just made about, um, and that it's in the informed consent piece, right, of actually you are becoming um, medicalized a bit. Like once you've had this surgery, this is means that for lifelong, realistically, um, you do need to know that you will be having increased contact with doctors and increased medical risks and all this sort of stuff. Um, I think Marion Hollander um might link to her stuff in the show notes as well. Um, I think she's doing a really good job of just that of that informed consent piece yeah. um, that she, because she didn't have it before her what surgery. What does life really look like yeah. afterwards? Yeah. Even when it goes like, quote, unquote, like, well. well. Yeah. 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 Totally. Yeah. Lovely. So um, you mentioned, and we will definitely link to it, um, either just on social media after if this comes out before um around the am i hungry um groups that'd be really exciting um but where else can people find you either if they actually need um a non-diet dietitian with experience in bariatric surgery or type 1 diabetes um see you privately um or whether um they're interested in sort of just following along with your stuff where is the best place for people to find you I think if you Google nutrition with Marie, so my name is spelled M-A-R-I, a Finnish spelling, you know, we're, we're coming back full circle here. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so my that's my website, nutritionwithmarie.com. And mm-hmm. then my handle for both Facebook and for Instagram is nutritionwithmarie. Perfect. And we'll put those in the show notes as well. Fantastic. Well, thank you so much um, for coming and chatting to us. It's been really, really lovely. I feel like we could keep talking to you for a really long time, but yes. I know that you've got a client. Yes. Yes. So- thank you. Yes, I do. <laughs> Thanks so, so much for your time. <laughs> no worries. And, um, yeah, we will, um, we will see you around. Yes. Thank you. Thanks,